Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we ask that your spirit would be in our midst, that you would open our hearts, our ears to hear you speaking to us, and give us the courage to follow. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 14, and then uh, verses 36 through 41. Uh, It's from the story of Pentecost, but we're just going to read a part of it. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this same Jesus whom you crucified. Now when the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. For the past two weeks, my wife has been traveling across Spain, Switzerland, and France. She's been performing marriages, one she didn't know she was performing until five minutes before. She's been doing baptisms, preaching at church services, women's conferences, meeting tons of people. Uh, And the main purpose of this trip is to visit, evaluate, and support several new groups of Christians that are interested in becoming Cumberland Presbyterian. And there's a a ton of excitement there, and a lot of them are brand new Christians. They don't know what the Bible is. They've got no idea how to read it. They have no idea how to pray. They don't know what it means to be a part of a church. They're starting from the base floor. They just got convicted by the truth of Jesus Christ, and they know their their life can't be the same. And last Tuesday... Micah interviewed a woman interested in becoming a pastor, and she is going to be the Cumberland Presbyterian Church's first candidate for ministry in Spain. What might surprise you about our new churches in Spain and Switzerland and France is they're part of a global trend, the explosive growth of Pentecostalism. Micah told me that in worship at some of these new churches, some people are speaking in tongues, and they're laying on hands and praying for healing. Worship might go for several hours as someone shares a testimony. And I think this is part of what's so cool about being Cumberland Presbyterian. Our umbrella is gigantic. We have a huge range of people that we call part of our church family. From Korean churches that have mandatory prayer at 5 a.m. to churches with organs in Scottsboro, Alabama to Pentecostals in Spain. And these new churches in Spain are part of a global trend, Pentecostalism. Do we know this word, Pentecostalism? It probably creates a picture in your head, maybe an interesting picture. Some of that picture is probably dead accurate. To put some faces to that title, 
uh, Pentecostals will usually include Church of God, the holiness tradition, assemblies of God, uh, and pretty much anything with the word uh, charismatic. And, and you can picture this. You've maybe been there speaking in tongues, running the aisle, laying on hands for miraculous healing, uh, some yelling, some dancing, definitely some hand-waving. I want to talk about Pentecostalism a little bit this morning, partially because on the Christian spectrum, Presbyterian and Pentecostals have to lean very far to reach each other. And because Pentecost was a gift to the church. And I think maybe a fear of Pentecostals leads to a fear of Pentecost. So we're going to talk a little bit about Pentecostals. Its root is actually the day of Pentecost, and we know this story. The Spirit of God comes down, and all the disciples begin to speak in tongues so that strangers could understand them. And Pentecostals emphasize the need for the Holy Spirit in a Christian life. When you commit to following Jesus, the Bible says God will send the Spirit to dwell within you. And Pentecostals emphasize that the Spirit comes and you will see a difference in that person's life. The Spirit brings with it gifts and it will change your heart. Which is why to be Pentecostal you have to be born again. There is no, my parents made a promise when I was a baby and I was baptized then. They don't take that. It's only you make a decision for yourself and are born again. And I said Pentecostalism is a global trend. While much of the church is shrinking, Pentecostalism is not. These numbers are unreal. In 1970, there were 63 million Pentecostals. In 2014, there were 631 million. That's 1,000% growth in 40 years. To put that uh, in perspective, our cousins, the PCUSA, shrank by 33% in the last decade. Pentecostalism grew by 1,000% in the last 40 years. And Micah has obviously been taking this in, going from Scottsboro to these Pentecostal churches was a little bit of a culture transition. But she's meeting passionate believers who encounter and worship God in very different ways than what many of us are used to. Like I said, some are speaking in tongues. Some are praying for miraculous healing. Maybe they start worship at 9 p.m. and they worship until midnight. That's not us, obviously. I've never spoken in tongues, so I'm not up here. Don't get nervous on me. (laughs) We're not about to practice. And I like stopping church in time for lunch at 12 noon promptly. But there's something amazing about the fact that as Cumberland Presbyterians, We're a family with people who are very different from us. It's an opportunity to learn from each other, to be challenged, and to grow together. We have churches where you can't become a pastor until you're 30. Others where your church is required to plant another church. Others where they've been worshiping in the same building for 150 years. And the ways we worship, the ways we live out our faith, it has so much variety which is an opportunity that hardly any of our churches are taking advantage of, and we think that's terrible. It's something we want to figure out how to change. We want to take advantage of this great diversity in our family. We want to learn from these other churches. We want to borrow parts of their worship and see what happens. And and the bigger the difference, it seems like the more opportunity for learning. As we were talking about these churches, one of the questions we came up with is, why are the Pentecostal churches 
exploding. It's a question that matters. I mean, really, why do you think the Pentecostal churches are exploding? 1,000% growth. If you look at this passage from Acts, it's a piece from the story of Pentecost, and Peter is so overcome by the Holy Spirit that he just starts preaching. And the Spirit rushes down. He can't help it. The other disciples are preaching in other languages. Peter is preaching in Hebrew. He tells everyone that God made Jesus both the Lord and the Messiah. And then he looks at them and says, And you guys crucified him. And that day, 3,000 of them joined the faith. The Pentecostals think this passage matters a lot. So they expect the Holy Spirit to come down. They expect people to speak in tongues and for people to be amazed and, and to want to join the faith. But they take Peter's answer to that question seriously too. And that's what I want to focus on. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You have to repent or you can't join. Repent, like I mentioned in the children's message, it means to stop doing what you're doing. To literally, it means to walk in a different direction. Stop going that way, now you go this way. For our churches in Spain and a lot of other countries, repentance isn't optional. The requirements are different, but they're not optional. How do you feel about that? I mean, really, how do you feel about the church having expectations on what its members do? If you're like me, something about it rubs the wrong way. Warning lights go off venturing into some kind of dangerous territory, maybe because I've seen expectations done wrong. There's this church where the pastor preached about adoption every Sunday, and he would stand up and say, it's wrong to have your own children. As a Christian, you should not have children. You should adopt. There are children in the world that need adopting, and if you're a Christian, you need to. Stories like that just give me a little twitch when we start talking about expectations. Adoption is awesome, but that is crazy. And I've, I've heard about too many churches that have expectations I think are wrong. For instance, Pentecostals, many require speaking in tongues. Just so you know, it is actually against the Bible to say that everyone should speak in tongues. People aren't being too religious when they say every believer has to be speaking in tongues. They're creating their own religion. If you ever need evidence for that in a conversation, it's 1 Corinthians 12. But how can a church tell all its members to speak in tongues when the Bible says only a few will, and only sometimes? Situations like that, they set off a warning light in my head when we talk about expectations. But here's what Peter says. Repent and believe. And repent means change the way you're living. It's an expectation. I studied abroad in England for one semester in York, and it was beautiful. And while I was there, I went to a lecture. It was required. Uh, it was about how the Anglican Church is doing in England, and it was really depressing. Uh, it might sound boring. It was. Uh, but I was there. And how's the Anglican Church doing in England? If you're wondering, they're shrinking. They have these big, beautiful churches, huge, gorgeous churches with mostly empty seats. Stunning choirs that outnumber the listeners in the pews. They have the best schools and the smartest priests, but they're almost all shrinking. 
And this one guy in the crowd raises his hand and he asks, are there any religious groups that are growing in England? And the guy giving the lecture answered, and he said, there are some groups that are. Some are inventing the old traditions again, and they're growing. And there are these evangelical and Pentecostal missionaries that are growing. And he adds that Islam is growing really fast. Not because of immigrants coming in, they're converting. And he gets asked why, and his answer was actually this simple. He said, expectations. In Islam, if you want to join, you stop eating pork, you stop drinking, you stop smoking, you pray five times a day. It's mandatory. They only have part of the truth, right? We, we would agree that. They don't know about Jesus. They don't know about the Holy Spirit. But people are choosing a partial truth with expectations over a fuller truth without them. And it was the same, he said, with the Pentecostals. For most Pentecostals, you stop drinking, you stop smoking, you pray, you go to church twice on Sundays. You have to change the way you live. You have to speak in tongues. I don't think they always have the full truth. But people are choosing a partial truth with expectations over a fuller truth without them. I think that's interesting. I'm not saying our church should grow 1,000%. That would mean we take over the entire town of Scottsboro just for numbers. We'd have to buy out Walmart to have a place to meet. It's not who we are. I love our family church where we know each other in the pews. And I certainly don't think we need to begin speaking in tongues. I don't think those are the lessons we should take away from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. I doubt any of you do either. Are there... Hands, votes. But why do people choose a partial truth with expectations over a fuller truth without them? Here's another example, and I'm going to preach on this as an advocate of our children and youth being in sports. Sports, they build teamwork, they build confidence, they're good for your health, they teach you how to lose, they're a good thing. And look with me at how youth sports work. Sport teams, they require practice multiple times a week. Mandatory practice, or you can't play in the game. And the coach will decide which position or event you'll be, depending on what you're good at. And the coach puts you where you'll be best for the team. You have to sweat in the sun. You've got to run. Practice the same thing over and over again. Your teammates will be relying on you during the competition. They count on you to do your part. If you refuse to play by the rules, if you're destructive to the team, if you won't work, don't expect to play. They'll say you're not ready. You'll wait on the bench. The games, they matter. I've seen, I'm sure you've seen, middle schoolers crying after losing a buzzer-beater game. It matters. That's a lot of expectations. It's a ton of them. Sometimes there are too many expectations, and sports demand that families live their lives around the sports schedule. But still, even with that, kids and youth flock to these sports And they sweat and practice and worry and want to win so bad that they're jumping up and down or they're crying. Is it because sports are that much better than everything else on earth? I don't think so. But I think the expectations say something. They say this matters. It creates a sense of belonging a sense of purpose, a mission. And those are all things that, as human beings, we're made to have. 
We are made to belong. We're made to have a purpose. And we're made to live for a mission. And sports have those because they have expectations. A team with no expectations is saying that its purpose isn't important. Its mission isn't that important. Without a mission or a purpose, there isn't belonging. Which is why, if you look back on your life, I think you'll find the most influential coaches, the most influential teachers, the most influential mentors had expectations. They looked at you and they said, I see what you can do, I see what you can be, and I expect you to live up to it. The expectations gave purpose. They gave mission and they created belonging. And that's true even when the expectations aren't true. Sports can change your life. They can develop character and work ethic and determination. They can teach you to fail and to try again. But sports aren't better for you than the living God that forgives sins, fills us with the Spirit, transforms our lives, and leads us in the way of salvation. And yet, young people will choose sports over church. I don't think it should be a conflict between the two. I don't feel threatened by our youth in sports. And I have nothing but respect for our young parents and how they navigate that. But there are tons of young people who will join a sports team instead of a church. And I think it's because the partial truth will give them more life than a fuller truth with no expectations. Our denomination probably has more charismatic and Pentecostal influences than you'd guess, especially as you leave the United States. And oftentimes their pastors could use some more education. Some of the stuff they teach is just wrong. But they've taken the importance of the gospel and they've translated it into expectations. And the expectations aren't always right. But people, they know that the church matters because the expectations make that clear. I had a friend in seminary and I have a ton of respect for him and his conviction, but he would always say that his youth group had no expectations. It was open to everyone and open to every belief, and his only mission was to be in relationship with the young people and to love them with Jesus' love. And he did that really well, and he was really good at what he did. But the reason he said that was because when he was in youth group, they had expectations, you know, Bible studies and prayer and whatever, and his brother didn't fit any of those expectations. And his brother left the church and he didn't come back. So because of that, my friend didn't want church to have any expectations either. But I always asked him, and now I'm asking you, isn't the issue having the wrong expectations? Because as I see it, no expectations is not love. If you're addicted to something, I expect you to work to get clean because I love you. If God has given you gifts and I tell our youth this, I expect them to use them because I love them and I want them to reach the potential that God has given them. What Peter says is this, and listen very carefully, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That word forgiven, it's how we're used to thinking about sins, right? The issue, I have sins and I just need them to be forgiven. The issue is guilt. But that's not all the word means. Forgiveness, the main meaning, is freedom. Peter says, repent and be baptized so you can be set free from your sins. Because 
We're in prison from them. We're in prison from our sins. We repent and be baptized. That's an expectation so that we might be set free. The problem with churches having expectations isn't that they become too religious. It's a problem when we have the wrong expectations, when the expectations don't bring life. But even wrong expectations can bring more life than a lukewarm truth, which is part of Pentecost, the Spirit leading God's people across these barriers, leading us into the presence of God so that we might be set free. When the Spirit moved on Pentecost, it filled Peter, and he spoke about life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that day, 3,000 asked, what should we do? They were so amazed by God and so amazed by what he had done and who he was, their question was, what should we do? And Peter's answer was just, repent and believe so that God might set you free from the prison of your sins, and you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I know Pentecostals are a little further than a stone's throw away from many of us. But there's a lesson in Pentecost from us. A piece of the good news of the gospel that we can learn from them. So while we're not going to be speaking in tongues next, I do hope that we will continue to come to God to repent and believe that God might continue to lead us deeper into freedom from our sins. When the Spirit moves, when the Spirit moves, our call is that simple. Repent and believe so that you might be set free. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks today for our brothers and sisters who worship you differently than we do. We ask that you would open our eyes that we might learn from them. Learn from them about following you, that we might teach one another and together follow you better. I ask that you would move among us, that we might be set free from our sins, follow you deeper and deeper into the ways of salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.